Welcome to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I'm a Buddhist. My name is Jacob. I am a Christian. And, and how are you this fine evening, Jamal? I'm very tired, Jacob. <laughs> very, very tired. <laughs> Tell me about that. Why are you why are you tired? What's going on? Um well Have you I, been overdoing the meditation. Oh no, if, if anything that makes you more awake. No, I've um I've been um, I've been overdoing the physical exertion. I uh, went on a marathon run on the weekend. Uh, I so it's like forty two k. Forty two. Although this one was a was a sneaky sneaky forty four. Uh, which w- w- when you're at did K- you take a wrong turn? No, no, that that was just the course. And, and when you're at K forty one and you're like, oh, there are three k's to go. That that is a big difference between one and three k's there. <laughs> that you don't feel elsewhere. Um, but no, it, it, it was excellent. It was a um, in uh, Glen Davies, which is a little town uh, outside the Blue Mountains. Sounds like a person. Uh, actually, wasn't that a former Anglican? Archbishop Glenn Davies. I, th- I think that was the last been. Anglican Archbishop of Sydney. Well, there you go. Uh, so it was. It was in. It was in his house, uh, and <laughs> uh, it was up and down some very steep hills, uh, in and out of some very beautiful forests, uh, and to a glowworm tunnel and back. Uh, I didn't know we had glowworm tunnels. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's like an old train tunnel with glowworms in it. Did you appreciate it? Twenty k's in. Well, no, because the no, you couldn't <laughs> see any of the glowworms. They weren't. They weren't glowing that day. So oh, it's a bit like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, and so we thought this episode uh, we might we might talk a bit about running and a bit about um, a bit about the kind of running's relationship to spirituality. And I don't all know those why things. I agreed to this because I'm not a runner, so maybe that means I'm deeply unspiritual in some way. <laughs> no, I, I, and, and maybe maybe it'll be a broader episode on various ways of accessing spirituality. But um, but uh, you know, at, at, as you might be able to tell, dear listeners, this is going to be one of our slightly meandering episodes. Um, <laughs> you hadn't picked it up already. Yeah. Uh, so we, th- we thought we'd just we'd take the prompt and, and run with it, so to speak. Hey. That, 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 that wasn't even the joke for today. I'll edit it out. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, so Jacob, where are we going, Jamal? Yeah. Well, all right. So, so Jacob, Lead on. so I guess as a premise here, I find... Uh, running to be a really meditative practice and I find it to be something that does uh, have a role in my spiritual life. And I guess my question to you to start this one off maybe is, you know, do you have things that on the surface of them are not spiritual in your life but actually serve a deep spiritual purpose? That's an excellent question. Possibly music in some aspects for me. I mean, I guess music is or can be quite spiritual on the surface. So I'm not sure if that counts. But So I play trombone, right? Um, and I've, I've played trombone in church for years and years and years. And I find sometimes that I, I feel as though I'm kind of worshipping more and caught up in praise more when I'm playing trombone than when I'm singing, even though the singing has the actual words that are of praise and stuff, right? Mm, interesting. Um, but I just kind of like wind up, I don't know, in the flow or something. That sounds naff and silly, but like that that kind of thing. I I want the answer to kind of be cycling. So I, I cycle. I don't run. That's my um, self-torture of choice. It's because you're a mammal, right? I resent the implication that I am middle-aged. If I'm middle-aged, you're in a lot of trouble, man. <laughs> for, 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 those, uh, for those unaware, uh, middle-aged man in Lycra is the acronym mammal that uh, is applied to many a cyclist, particularly around Canberra. This, this is true. And the vast, vast majority of whom are older than me. Um, and like, I, I would like it 
to be cycling and I kind of think like, oh, I could go out cycling and sort of just get lost in prayer or something or whatever while I go. But I, I never do. I kind of wind up more focused on the thing that I'm doing or my mind will just wander off in random directions that I like that weren't the planned directions that I would like to go in. So I'm interested in, and, and maybe this is a difference with Buddhist meditation, right? Like of how, how do you find that with running? Because I, I find the physical exertion means that I'm, I'm almost less capable of directing my thoughts. Well, yeah, and, and I think, so how you describe cycling, is your mind when cycling is probably very similar to how my mind is when running, right? I um, Particularly when I'm trail running and out in, in nature, I, um, you know, sometimes I have headphones on and listen to stuff, but like sometimes, you know, most of the time I, I'm just kind of moving and I'm just kind mm-hmm. of aware of various things in my body or my thoughts are wandering. And, and I guess, yeah, maybe that's a definitional difference where as particularly the part of that, that is about being aware of what you're doing and being kind of quite singly focused on whatever you're doing at the time like that is a very buddhist spiritual practice you know the the act of meditation is essentially picking a meditation object right and the most common one is the breath uh and just paying attention to that and you know you're not trying to direct your thoughts you're not trying to ask certain questions or deal with certain things and i i find almost that's part of the benefit for me whereas you know if I pick my body or running as the meditation object when I'm doing that, um, you know, a lot of the time my mind does jump to trying to problem solve, trying to think through things, trying to, um, you know, work through various thoughts. And I think running almost has that baseline level of physical exertion that takes me away from my own thoughts in a really kind of meditative way. Like you, you, you can't be not focusing on the running. Yeah, and like, yeah, I can be. I can be an autopilot. But like there's almost like that just because there's always something going on in my body, whether it's like, you know, whether there's a breathing thing, whether I'm feeling some soreness, Mm -hmm. whether I'm, you know, negotiating a tricky tricky bit of trail, whether on a particularly long run like the weekend I'm, you know, dealing with, you know, gut issues and various things. Like there's always something that's like that I have to be aware of that, is like well, this is the thing you've got to focus on, and yeah, it, it it's almost like it it throws up meditation objects at you every moment. Yeah, okay, and which is a very different way to kind of what I would think of as being um, meditative, prayerful, reflective, like mm. a, which I think is is probably just a difference in the traditions. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's probably uh, that's probably true to a to a certain extent. There, yeah. Do you do you find that? I, so you said trombone, you feel like you're more involved, I guess, in a spiritual way. Do you find that you are more focused with your mind when you're playing music? Yeah. Yeah, that would be true, actually. Like, if if I'm playing, like, if I'm just singing in the congregation, right? Like, it's a, I, I can be singing and I can be focused on the words and that can be the, the main thing I'm doing. Or I can be half doing that and my mind is off kind of, doing other things as well and and that's especially the case if or i find anyway for myself like if i'm leading something in the worship like if i'm preaching that day or something like that um not always but more often i'll find that oh look it's the the song that's the one before the sermon 
Um, and so I'm kind of half in sermon headspace and less in worship headspace. And I quite like it when that doesn't happen, but it, it does happen more often in that way. But but when I'm yeah, when I'm playing music, you kinda you have to be all there, especially I guess especially the the instrument that I play and the way I play it in that setting, because I'm kind of like doodling and improvising and stuff, right? So I'm finding the space between other things. So I've got to be attentive to well, when are the lyrics stopping and starting? When are the singers coming in and out? What's the piano doing? How am I not getting in their way? Like, so yeah, I'm I'm definitely more attentive to it seems what's like, going on. It seems than much music more structured. What, what, well, like, yeah. so you know, you're talking about like needing to fit in with the music, needing to like you know be attentive to what's happening there, and and even when you are improvising to a certain extent, that it's about fitting into a structure that's there. It's kind of what strikes me there, that it's like you're finding your place within the existing structure of what's happening musically. Yeah, I think that would be one way to to put it. Um, there's an extent to which like kind of jazz music just works like this, right? Like jazz is often described as a conversation, right? Like a, a back and forth. And if, if you're not listening to the other conversation partner, then you're just going to run over them saying their own thing and that's that's not going to be great or or you're going to miss various cues and stuff. Um, so, like, you you listen to one of my favourite um, ensembles is the Keith Jarrett trio. So Keith Garrett, Gary Peacock and Jack DeJeanette, like piano-based drums, and they're just constantly interacting with one another. Like, everyone has kind of their role in the ensemble but you can hear that the drums are responding to what the piano is playing, which is responding to how the bass is interpreting the particular lines and stuff. Um, and so they're all like, I, I don't know that most people would listen to that and go, oh, that's really, really structured, but they are kind of, they're building the structure together, right? Mm. So maybe that's just me like going, no, nah, don't put me in a box, man. I don't <laughs> want to be talking about the structure, but um, there's a way in which music works like, and, and improvisation probably more than most people think looking at the the outside it it, it needs structure in order to live yeah well, and i just i find that interesting i guess because part of what i think is really quite spiritual about running for me is it's so unstructured you know like i mean i'm not sure that i would find the same spirituality in training for a road marathon you know the, the, that is a very structured pursuit. You know, you have so certain, you run off-roads, right? I run off-roads. Yeah. So I, I run on uh, trails, dirt tracks, um, sides of hills, all those kinds of things. Um, and like, yeah, like uh, road running is very structured. You, you have set paces, you have certain times you're trying to get up often. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's very much about kind of, you know, maximizing the efficiency of your body to do those mm -hmm. things. Whereas I think trail running is quite different where – you know, you're responding to the terrain. You know, I, I've run two marathons, which is not that many. Um, and I kind of went into this one on the weekend with this kind of sense of like, oh, you know, if I could run this, you know, this is a little bit healier than the last one. If I could run this in about the same time as I did the last one, that'd be good. And I ran it an hour slower Ooh, than the last one. Ouch. But that was totally fine because yeah, yeah. of the terrain. You know, like I was yep. like, well, actually that extra 800 meters of elevation that I climbed probably kind of <laughs> mattered. And like, actually the fact that a bunch of that was running on the sides of a cliff edge 
uh, where visually not falling off. Yeah, so you yeah. Ha- you had to kind of slow down at least inherently to to make sure you were kind of safe there. And like there are all these various things that it's like you know well yeah actually you know I was just responding to what the terrain was and like but but that's like kind. Of- if I can draw a long bow to, to make some similarities here, right? Like that's you having a conversation with the terrain, as it were, and, yeah. and having to be attentive to what's going on around you. Yeah, I I, I can see that. I think it might be a little bit of a long bow, but I I can yeah, I, I, I can I'm, see I'm that. stretching here. But. Yeah, but like um, well, and I think maybe even a better way of describing it for me is more so that like I was, it wasn't so much. I, was, I don't think I was having a conversation with the terrain, but I think. I was actually honestly just having a conversation with myself, right? So mm-hmm. what what I did... See, this is what I always hope to do when I'm cycling yeah. and I never get to it, yeah. But yeah, like what I was doing was essentially I was trying to understand qualitatively what I was wanting to do, right? All of my goals were qualitative. So I rocked up to that race going, I want to run this as hard as I can and mm-hmm. I want to kind of push myself to the very limit of what I can do. That was kind of my qualitative goal. And, you know, I did that. And the, you know, the speed at which I moved on that given day, because, you know, it's not just the terrain, it's how I felt that morning. Uh, You know, I I made a couple of mistakes with what I ate during the run where I just kind of like did a few things and suddenly, you know, had kind of, you know, too much going on and uh, and eaten too much. And that slowed me down a bit. Like, you know, none of these things like completely destroyed anything but it meant that you know it, it meant that f- for whatever reason on that day the feeling of me going as hard as I could and pushing myself as much as I could meant that I ran that whole thing in you know six and a half hours not five and a half hours yeah and another day you might feel like you're pushing yourself just as hard and it winds up being six hours or seven hours or- yeah I- exactly yeah. right and like and that real kind of focus on the qualitative experience of it and going, well, you know, what I'm trying to do here is understand how I'm feeling and work with how I'm feeling. Like that to me is super Buddhist. And like Mm. the other part of it that I think is super Buddhist is that it is kind of solo, you know, like you were talking about your music stuff. And I think to me, that's a very Christian pursuit because that, 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 that's, you know, to, to no pun intended in concert with other people. Right. Like it's, you know, it's it, you're not going to need to make a joke this episode. Oh, I know, you're right. I'm getting there, but um, but you know, it's like it's one of those things that's like it, you're working with others. It's a it, to me that is quite, you know, analogous to the church, right? Where you're, mm-hmm. you're working with yeah. other people to identify the spirituality there. Whereas in Buddhism, yeah, it's it's a solo pursuit. It's it's me and nature, and it's me as a being in nature, just moving through nature like any other being would you know there's, there's mm. no difference between me and the kangaroo at that point right mm. and, and so it's i guess it's in a way understanding yourself in relation to other things but in a, in a very different way to how we might talk about it in in the christian tradition and it's also like it's a like you said it's a it's a solo pursuit and it's it's kind of is it is it okay to say like self-focused rather than outward focused which is not that it's outward focused but it's like a it's being attentive to the self rather than being attentive to God, which is how I would kind of describe a more meditative Christian practice. Yeah, and well, and I wonder whether whether I would push back a little bit and say it is being attentive to God, but in this situation, God is nature. God is the trail. Sure. God, God is the the place you are in, and it's 
it's being attentive to yourself in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think you can remove yourself from the world. You know, that that would that that would almost be running around a track, right? Where it's just this. It doesn't matter <laughs> what it is where you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. but actually, with with the running that I feel like I do, it's it's all dependent on the world, and it's mm-hmm. all dependent on where you are in the world, and you know, it's it's almost fundamentally a different thing depending on where you are and and how how you rock up to whatever part of the world you're in. And even what the weather is doing in the part of the world at that time. Absolutely. Right? Like the same part of the world can be a very different place on a different day. Yeah. You want to you, you, you run in snow or you run in, run in heat, it's going to really be a, a different thing. Yeah. Mm. So can I ask you a couple of questions about meditation? Is that yeah, please. If, yeah. if we draw in a different way. So I, I was saying before we started, I did a four-day silent retreat since we've last spoken. And one of the things that I found that surprised me about doing that was just, I guess, I guess being attentive to my body and realizing all of these like bits of me that were sore that I wouldn't normally notice were sore. And also that I was far more tired than I expected, right? Like I, I went to bed an hour or two earlier than I would normally have done every night and woke up slightly later and took a siesta every day and still kind of after about the third day I was like oh yeah no now I don't feel like this sort of baseline exhaustion but it was has that been your experience with like meditation and retreating and stuff because yeah that surprised me yeah so um so I will answer that but the first question I have to ask you if if you've done a silent retreat is, is your first silent retreat yeah did you get a song stuck in your head I, I got several songs that came and went, yeah. um, which I kind of, like I encouraged, right? Because the songs uh, were mo- mostly Christian songs of, of various backgrounds and, and seemed to connect with what I was working through as I retreated, if I can put it that way. Fair enough. So, or so what God was doing. That's a better way of putting it. They they connected with what God was doing. Spirit-prompted songs. I, I'm happy to go with that. Uh, yeah. It sounds like they were useful then. I, on the other hand, day four of my first 10-day silent meditation retreat had the hook line from No Scrubs in my head for 24 hours straight <laughs> and could not think of a single other thing other than the chorus of No Scrubs. <laughs> that sounds mildly depressing. Oh, it was... It was a very bad 24 hours, I have to tell you that. I, I No wonder Buddhist meditation is focused on nothingness and getting up if that's the alternative, yeah. Uh, you know, I, it was marginally marginally worse than the time I had um, that what, that's what makes you beautiful from one direction in my head for a good five hours of a meditation retreat. Well, so maybe this is an advantage of Christian meditation or Christian kind of silence or whatever, is that, like songs are okay. Like there are there are good helpful songs, and, and that was yeah, that was certainly my <laughs> my thing is that the songs helped. Yes. Well, no. To, to answer your question, um, yeah, I I think you have very effectively described the reason why Ajahn Brahm runs his retreats the way he does. Okay. How does um, he run his? Yeah. So most meditation retreats will get you set up, and you're meditating for a good period of time, and you're kind of going through it. Um, on an Ajahn Brahm retreat, he pretty much bans you from meditating for the first few days. Okay. Uh, and the idea is you rock up and the premise is you're probably exhausted. Like, just chill for a bit yeah. and just, like, catch up on sleep. And, like, like so, you know, on most meditation retreats, they'll have, like, a 4 or 5 a.m. meditation session 
uh, where you rock up to the hall very early in the morning and meditate. And Anjan Brahm goes, I'll be here. And if I see any of you, I'll send you back to bed. You know? <laughs> uh, it, it, it's very much a thing which is like, you know, no, you need to just let so go the, of all the tiredness and stress you're carrying. And before does meditation you do not help with that? Um, yes and no. So like yeah, okay. a kind of daily meditation practice probably does help with that. Like if you meditate but half an hour kind a day. Of like building up over time. And, yeah, yeah. And, and there's a sense in which you can kind of release bits of stress through that and process yep. bits. And yeah, Um, I mean, but when you're getting into like very long-term, particularly 10-day and longer Buddhist retreats, your the, the meditation you're doing is um, you know, requires a level of focus. It requires a level of energy. It's not you know, um, th- th- there's a there's a kind of a way of approaching it which is very good, which is just to kind of sit there and just let it happen and enjoy and just kind of experience that. And but but that's quite an advanced technique, like. Theoretically, it's not that hard. You just go, oh, cool. Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't sound here. difficult, right? But, like, yeah. but I mean, you know, anybody who's tried to meditate, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, like trying to just sit there and go, cool, and I'm just going to sit there and enjoy this, is it's actually quite hard. And, like, so, you know, there's a level of kind of stuff you've got to work through first to get to that level of letting go. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, great if you can do it, but also, like, yeah, I think there's, it, it's it's very layered. You know, I, I think meditation has lots of layers and yeah, the outermost layer is most often just exhaustion from life and just mm-hmm. tiredness and just a need to rest. And then there's a, le- then there's a layer of like getting your mind kind of focused and concentrated and kind of, you know, um, well, sharpened. Like, and, well, you know. I find this in day to day life, right? Like if I'm tired, I'm less likely to be able to focus, right? And, and more likely to just, my mind will run away with a tangent or whatever. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and so it becomes it becomes tricky. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I, your experience absolutely tracks with my experience. Um, and I've started, you know, whenever I do go on a meditation retreat, um, not always taking three days, but like you know, sometimes take a day or something just to just to let things fall off, you know, mm. just to kind of you know catch up on sleep and yeah, sleep in and 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 eat as much as you want and just try and like just you know not not feel like you've got to kind of be match fit to meditate kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, like almost letting expectations go. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, and, and you know, to, to kind of to tie the analogies back to the original premise too, right? Like when you're when you're trying to rock up to a, to a race, you spend the week or two beforehand resting. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't... Yeah, you don't train hard the day before a big match. Exactly, yeah. right, yeah. Like you, you, you do, you know, have a period of quite focused rest and quite focused you know letting all the kind of the things catch up with you and and, and then then you're ready to to enter into something refreshed just to run with that analogy because why not mm. right like just before a big race like you're you're resting for what the week or two kind mm. of prior to but you've also been training for months before that is there an analogy to that for a meditation retreat of like a don't just jump in cold or is jumping in cold fine um, I don't know. I'm not sure the analogy works because I think that meditation is not a competitive uh, <laughs> single instance event, right? Um, I mean, maybe maybe the best analogy you can give to that in the Buddhist sense is that the race day is the day you die. Yeah, okay. Right. The, like, yeah, you, know, you kind of, you know, you're training your whole life for the day you die and then you've got to you know, perform on that day and then really be focused. But uh, but not really. Um but I think there is something in that, and I think I think there's something in this sense of, 
I mean, I don't know. It's, it's like, different for different people. Because I would say, like, if, if you're going on a, a prayer retreat, right, which is what I was mm. doing, being silent and reflecting and praying through stuff. Like, if, if you don't pray at all before that or you don't pray much after that, I'm not sure how much good it's going to do. And something that this, I imagine, is quite different from the Buddhist experience. But something that came to me, so you, you, you were given on the retreat I was on, like um, exercises, questions and stuff to, to work through and scripture passages to reflect on and this kind of thing. And I found myself like making links and being drawn to particular parts of scripture and praying through different you know scenes from the life of Jesus or Psalms or whatever that it was kind of drawing on my 30 whatever years of having been a Christian and reading scripture and praying and all of that meant that I was kind of drawing some of those connections, which if you'd not opened a Bible before going on this prayer retreat, you just, you wouldn't have connected Psalm 8 with Psalm 131 and like, yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I think the, the, the difference in Buddhism here is that Buddhism doesn't have that structure, right? Like sure. for Buddhism, you know, they, we have sutta retreats sometimes where you want to go and study particular suttas or you know focus on particular things. But most Buddhist retreats you go on will be, you know, focus on your breath, and yep. you, you don't need to. Anyone have fo- can do that. Yeah, yeah you, you yeah. don't need to have read anything before to, to know where your breath is, right? Um, but yeah, look, I think there's there is a there's a big debate in Buddhism about you know whether you should jump into stuff or not, and you know, this goes into the Gwenka Vipassana kind of stuff, which I think we've spoken about before. Um, and you're looking at me like we haven't spoken about Gwenka Vipassana before. Well, we possibly have, but the name's not ringing about. All right. Well, the, l- let me re let me reindoctrinate you into the Gwenka Vipassana. <laughs> um, so, I, I'm sure actually a fair few of our listeners might might be aware of Gwenka Vipassana. Um, so, have you heard of like the the kind of have you heard anyone refer to a Vipassana retreat? Oh, is this the uh Way too hardcore ones. Yeah, yeah. essentially the way the way yeah. too hardcore ones. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of in common parlance, it's just called a vipassana retreat, uh, and it's kind of what if you if you if if you meet somebody who is generally white, generally kind of in their twenties or thirties, uh, and generally a little bit of a hippie, and they tell you they've been on a Vipassana retreat. The, the odds on is that they've been to a Gwenka Vipassana yep. retreat. It's a very common, um, very, uh, you know, quite decently publicized, but like accessible, uh, you know, kind of meditation retreat. Mm. Um, and it's a 10-day silent meditation retreat um, that is, in my experience, very strict for a meditation retreat. Um, so it involves 12 hours a day of sitting meditation, um, yeah, okay, that's a lot. Not into you know, most retreats will intersperse bits of walking meditation yep. as well. Um, there will be periods where you can get up and walk or whatever else. But yeah, twelve hours a day of sitting meditation. It introduces hour long sessions where you are encouraged uh, slash told not to move a single bone in your body, um, and is yeah completely silent, very very intense. Um, and you know they they do some vetting as to people who have. Um, you know, uh, they do vet people for um, particular risk factors and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I went on one and not having really meditated much before and they were very fine with that. And it's one of those things where if, yeah, I, I there there is some argument to say that, you know, just throwing someone in the deep end like that kind of helps 
a bunch of breakthroughs very quickly and get okay. someone to a point yep. where they can um, see a lot of benefit from meditation and that kind of stuff yep. pretty quickly. Um, there is another argument that says that's really dangerous uh, and that, that not only could that potentially lead to a number of issues where someone is too kind of going too deep too quickly and, and not really doesn't doesn't have the context to understand what's going on or doesn't have the kind of support around them to work through it. Would this be kind of like the the Buddhist theological context? Yeah. So yeah, okay. in, in, in Buddhism, yes, you would say that. But honestly, even just like having friends to talk to or like <laughs> having like uh, having like you know other th- structures in your life other than yeah, okay. just meditating all day every day that you know that, so you can actually kind of work through some of it you know and for some people that that becomes really that, that's a dangerous thing and that's not particularly helpful and it doesn't lead to long-term outcomes um mm-hmm. my personal experience was that it definitely did do a lot of the kind of very immediate quick breakthroughs but kind of like you alluded to um as soon as I stopped meditating an hour a day afterwards, like I, I meditated for like an hour a day afterwards, for like a few months, but then like as soon as I stopped, a lot of those benefits just disappeared because I had yeah. nothing else to ground them to. You know, yeah. they, they were only they were grounded. only grounded in the meditative yeah. practice. Yeah, and so I feel like I've become a much more mindful and happier person through a slow build of lots of things in my life which I ground my meditation mm. to, rather than just oh well, look here is the method of sitting meditation that will work and, and help you. There's an interesting, like, I, I don't think it's, like, the analogy is very imperfect, but thinking about the practice of prayer, right? Like, that prayer is great. Having devotional times is, is great. One of kind of the, someone I've learned quite a bit from about Christian practice um, reckons you've got different um, life stages, I guess, or different practices of prayer that work for you in inverted commas at different times. And um, one of his challenges to us was like, well, what happens when your prayer thing stops working? Um, you know, for him, he had a particular place that he liked to walk and pray in Melbourne. Um, and during COVID lockdowns, that was more than however far you were allowed to travel. So he couldn't go to the place where he liked to pray. So all of a sudden he had to work out other prayer practices. But also we talk about how... Um, there, there are times where you just can't pray for whatever reason, um, which in in my experience have tended to be when people have had big crisis or traumatic things going on in their lives where the prayers of others carry you in a way. And even though you can't pray, well, they can pray and they can pray with you and they can pray for you. Yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting, like if, if you're, I'm, I'm quite, partial to the idea that your relationship with God isn't something that you just carry on your own and it's not up to your own practices to to keep it all up, but it's embedded in a community. And that, that was the other thought of prayer is that, well, even if, you're, if, if you can't pray individually for whatever reason, you can rock up at a worship service on a Sunday and just be part of a community that is praising God and praying. And even if you're not in that space, yourself you're still part of that in a way yeah and i think that's i think that's honestly quite a lot of what goes into the buddhist kind of tradition for lay people being so focused around monastics you know in the sense that like there's a recognition that lay people can't 
inherently go and live the life of monastics. They might have responsibilities. They might have um, just, you know, not the temperament for it, whatever else, but like you can be part of a kind of spiritual community and part of supporting people to really, you know, pursue and achieve the Buddhist goals by rocking up and feeding the monks, Mm. you know, and, and yeah, you don't have to be able to do it all yourself, but there's a benefit in you doing it for others and kind of, you know, doing your part to help others do that? Yeah, I can I can see that. I think the difference between kind of what I'm picturing and what you just described is that you're you're still doing something and contributing towards and like you so you're not doing the monk thing, but you're serving them in some way and they're serving you back, right? By by doing their thing. Um whereas kind of particularly what I have in mind is those moments where you're just sort of carried by the community. Um, because you, whatever state you're in, you're not up to cooking food for the monks or or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that that one is right or wrong. It's just an, an interesting. They're they're not quite the same thing. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, I can see that. I can see the difference. Yeah. Um. So we were talking before about um about the running stuff, and it reminds me of this time a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. Oh yes. Um. And and in that bar they see Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, that first dude. Adam, yeah, like yeah. proto-human. Pro- pro- yep. Proto-human, Garden of Eden, Adam. Uh, and Adam has this massive, like, race medal around his neck. Oh, okay. Uh, and he, and he's, it's just like, you know, he's just showing it off. Saying, oh, yeah, I've got this race medal. Uh, and, and the Christian and the Buddhists walk up to Adam and, and they, they notice that the race medal just says, fastest runner of all time. And we're like, wow, that, that, that's pretty good. Like, did, did you race Usain Bolt or something? Like, how, <laughs> how, 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 how'd you get that medal, Adam? Uh, and Adam was like, well, no, of course I'm the fastest runner of all time. But I came first in the human race. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, do you have any anything else you want to chat about around, around running, around trombone, around, you know, <laughs> kind of meditation retreats and anything like that? Well, do you, I mean, you mentioned trombone. So, like, you, getting a, a song, a hook stuck in your head, like... I guess we've talked about this a little, but like, is music much part of your spirituality at all, or is it almost something that, in a meditation, you want to avoid because you're wanting to focus on whatever the other focus of your meditation is, and not on the no scrubs hook? Um, I'm certainly not searching for the no scrubs hook. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not something I'm Still sitting there going. What you're looking for? Uh, yes, I want no scrubs. Mm, yes, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not what I'm doing. Um, I, I want no no scrubs is is actually what <laughs> but like music in general like no, other no, no, other music sorry, that's I, more I, fulfilling i was trying to find a bad pun there and it, it just it, yeah. it didn't roll off the tongue um but yeah music isn't probably not a kind of part of the meditation per se but i i, I do believe that, med- that music has a role and can play a role kind of spiritually um you know i i I think, I mean, what it comes down to a lot of it is that meditation and the practice of it is often, at least in the early stages, about really getting comfortable with and identifying and kind of working with your emotions. And, mm-hmm. and music is a deeply emotional pursuit. That's and, what it does. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I think um, for me as someone that has a history in playing music, I I think I'm you know, more emotionally leaning because of that. You know, I, I would hazard a guess that your average person who 
plays music versus your average person who participates in sport, the, the musician might be slightly more emotionally leaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's not a judgment on that, but I think that someone, I, I, again, that can go both ways, right? Because I think the Buddhist conception that kind of has a slight criticism of music is that what it can do is lead you to overinvest in your emotions, you know, and, and, and kind and, of in an attachment forming. Sort yeah. Of way. And, and be too focused and too kind of involved with your emotions. And actually you want a level of distance and a level of dissociation with that. Um, so, you know, you have to be able to strike the balance, right? You know, you, mm. yeah, you know, I think, but music can be helpful, but I can see also how it can go too far. Any questions from you then? And then I've got one more before we wind up. No, I mean, like, I, I think I, I, I like what you've said and I, I, I like the kind of the analogy that's there around the jazz band being very Christian <laughs> and the solo running being very Buddhist. It, 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 it tracks with my visual and mental conception of, of what it means to be a Christian and a Buddhist. So no, I'll, I'll, I'll take your last question though. Yeah, yeah, well, you, you can run to a bar and I'll play jazz there. How does uh, that sound? Perfect. Um, music or running, if you had to choose one, which? <sighs> See, Right now in my life, I think I would choose running. Yep. Um, but you, I think if you asked me at any point in my life prior to like a year ago, it would have been music for sure. Um, What's changed? Honestly, I think just priorities and just like a focus and just like, um, you know, I I think I'm, I maybe am a bad test case for this because I think for me, music was so heavily associated with the time in my life that mm-hmm. had a lot of other things with it and a lot of things that I've probably moved on from and kind of just a general like way of being that was very linked in with how I was musically. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I think running to me represents a healthier version of myself, um, you know, both like literally and figuratively. Um, that tracks yeah. because of the like partly connected to the emotional connections i guess right like i've i've known people who are not able to listen to particular songs or particular artists because they're associated with a you know ex-partner or whatever it mm. might be because something in our brains that is, it seems to me anyway like that we associate music with that kind of stuff more than we do smells or sight or or other senses i i have a very um i realized i had never told you about my spiritual experiences uh with the um south american shamanic hallucinogen ayahuasca oh you have but not on the podcast. not on the podcast yeah. well there you go now, now i'm going to disclose my uh, very legal in Bolivia where I took it. Um, <laughs> drug use. Don't try this at home. D- don't try this outside of a handful of South American nations, please. Um, but, um, yeah, so I um, one of the things that, um, that I did when I was 19 years old traveling South America was um, – well, I, I was going to say I found a shaman, but I, I honestly believe the shaman found me. Um, you know, I, I, um, to cut the long part of this story short, I was um, – you know, a friend of mine had asked me if I knew any shamans and I had actually ran into one the day before in the yeah, okay. town square. And so I went to meet him and was introducing him to my friend. Uh, and the process by which uh, the shaman, who was quite a, you know, I think a genuine spiritual person, uh, interviewed my friend, decided that my friend just wanted to get high and the shaman wasn't going to wasn't gonna do anything with he him. He had kind of integrity. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and instead turned to the other friend that was there and me and said, oh, yeah, but uh, you, if you guys want to if you guys want to come <laughs> along, you guys will do it. And I'm like, oh, sure. Um, anyway, so um, 
went and, you know, uh, did some rituals and, um, you know, in, engaged in the traditional shamanic practice in South America there, which is to um, consume ayahuasca, which leads to psychedelic experiences. It's a very, very high concentrated level of DMT. Um, and one of the things that I kind of felt in that experience, and, and, and to kind of to give it credit, I, I, I do feel like that, uh, what what I felt there was quite legitimately spiritual. Um, you mm -hmm. know, th that experience was kind of almost the catalyst to break me out of my kind of liberal humanist atheism into, at the time it wasn't Buddhism, but but certainly an openness to spirituality in a way yeah. that I had never done before. And I, um, you know, whether you want to say that was God speaking through that experience or whether that was, you know, um, the plant uh, the the plant and Pachamama as the um as the the, the Quechua people would, would have it, um, but it's this kind of like a, something deeper than the material world. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and I think the experience, whilst it was um showing me things that I wouldn't otherwise have seen, um it yeah there was a level certainly a level of spiritual truth to that. Yeah. Um, and one of the lines which really stuck with me, I remember at the time I was um, really debating in myself whether or not to kind of continue pursuing a professional music career and whatever else. And in the midst of everything, I I kind of posed the question. Yep. And, I, and I kind of like, you know, I, I at the time felt I was in communion with God or the universe or whatever you have it. And I, you know, it was answering my questions. And so I thought I'd pose the question. Hmm. Uh, and the answer it gave me was a kind of, the answer it gave me was that to live a life that is, you know, that, that was associated with the, the life I was living as a musician, doing the music stuff. The, the phrase I remember was it was, you know, to do that would be to live amongst the stars, which was a real kind of, which at the time I really understood as being deeply connected with the emotional spiritual mm. way of being in the world but completely disconnected with the practical worldly way of being in the world mm. you know so it kind of represented a choice between like something that probably did have a huge amount of spiritual value but would be very disconnected from mm. um i guess the world as as it, as it was you know and, and and would would be almost kind of a step away from being in the world in a way that I think realizing that kind of almost pushed me away from doing that. Yeah. No, I get that. Mm. Do you, we're, we're running hard on time, but tangent from the tangent. Um, have you had similar things happen in, in Buddhist meditation? Like he's asking questions, a thing that you do in Buddhist meditation. And the reason I ask is because in kind of my Christian prayer practice and on this prayer retreat, like that was something that I kind of wound up doing was just asking God a bunch of questions from the mundane to the really deep. Um, yeah, not not really. Um, I mean, I have, but I, I wouldn't say that it's inherently a Buddhist practice to do so. Um, but yeah, no, not really. Yeah. Did, did you get any answers from God? Yeah, I think so. I got a, I got a mix of answers. Um, some of some of which were just quite quite helpful for the stuff I needed to hear, right? If I can put it that way, um, and some of it was just me asking mundane, stupid questions to which I didn't really expect an answer. And the the answer that I felt 
uh, if I can put it this way, was like just almost, almost God kind of chuckling and going, yeah, you don't need to know that. You know you don't need to know that. Like, it's nice that you asked, but I'm not going to tell you. Like that <laughs> that kind of thing, which was um, that, that, that was a, a fun part of the, the retreat for me, was just a, a reminder of something that I already knew, which is just God has a sense of humor. Mm. Uh, and I, I like that. And and that is why God God loves this podcast and and loves my jokes is I'm sure of it. There's this thing called grace, mercy, and forgiveness, Jamal, <laughs> and I, I suspect it's got more to do with that. Uh, somebody who does need grace, mercy, and forgiveness, but not for his music, is the wonderful Kevin McLeod, who we hear every week. That's true, and you can send your grace, mercy, and forgiveness to us at <laughs> ChristianBuddhistBar at gmail dot com. Jokes are also welcome. It's a while since we had a joke submission. Maybe we need one. We do. Uh, episode submissions are also very valued. Um, and yeah, we will hopefully see you again here next week. Make sure you tell a friend.